you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are experts in different cannabis spaces with a diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, April 15th, 2022. This is episode number 259. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about Tennessee and drug-free school zones. Did Bill Maher blow it? The feds returning $1.1 million in pot proceeds. The CAOA will not make a grand appearance on 420. Argentina may be the country that legalizes the right way and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. I'm going to start off the show today with my story because it's my turn. So my story comes from Reason, and it's by C.J. Ciramella. The headline is, Tennessee may allow resentencing for drug-free school zone offenders after a reason investigation. So file this under ridiculous consequences of the drug war. Uh, the, the reason investigation was in 2018, and it highlighted a really sad case. It was uh, 2008, and this 20-year-old uh, named Calvin Bryant was arrested for having 300 pills, mostly ecstasy. It was his first drug offense because he was living in a housing project that was less than a 1,000 feet from a school. He was seven, sentenced to 17 years 15 of them mandatory, rather than two and a half years if he lived somewhere else. In 2020, the state legislature passed a bill reducing the size of these zones to 500 feet from protected locations and requiring that the mandatory minimum sentences be applied only if a defendant's conduct actually endangered children. 
Bravo. I mean, come on, common sense. Hundreds of people are still in prison in Tennessee for drug-free school zone offenses. Hopefully, they all have a shot at resentencing because of this reason investigation. The 2018 investigation detailed how Tennessee's drug-free school zones covered much of the urban areas and turned minor drug crimes into prison sentences that were similar to those for murder and rape. We talk about the sentencing thing all the time on the show. That, that's just insane. All 50 states have drug-free school zone laws that enhance penalties for drug offenses, but Tennessee's was among the harshest in the country. Under the old law, those zones extended 1,000 feet from every school, park, library, and daycare. The zones covered 27% of Nashville and more than 38% of Memphis. They applied day or night, whether or not children were present, and they also applied in private residences when one... And also, if you were just driving through the zone, Tennessee enacted legislation in 2020 shrinking the size of its drug-free school zones and tightening when mandatory minimum sentences could be applied, but that legislation did not include any retroactive relief for roughly 400 inmates already serving sentences. The Tennessee Senate unanimously passed a bill earlier this week that would allow those doing time for drug-free school zone offenses under the old law to petition a judge for resentencing. The bill now heads to the governor's desk to await signature. If anyone in the audience is from Tennessee, please speak up about this so that the governor will sign this damn bill. To Tennessee. 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 I don't see. This is a really interesting story. Thanks for bringing this up, Susan. It's not something that would be on my radar usually. So thanks for sharing this with us. What about the children when they're not at school? <laughs> you know, it's so ridiculous to uh, some of these laws. Yeah, I mean, um, what is a drug-free zone? If you're allowing a bunch of opioids and, and people to be zombified on everything else, and uh, where I grew up in Virginia, everybody chews tobacco as a drug still, but um, you can't bring any cannabis anywhere near that. Like we need to redefine a lot of the stuff that we uh, talk about on a daily basis. We need to, we need to get an urban street team involved to go to all these signs around school districts everywhere and erase the FR in in free, and then that way it would say drug E zone, which is actually is. Well, it is really interesting in this article, too, how they pointed out how, like, these the people with these drug offenses were basically treated the same as rapists. That's pretty crazy. Agreed. But, yeah, save the children. Yes, save the children. So let's keep moving. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got today, Rico? All right, so um, I want to start mine off with a trigger warning as the story includes language involving abuse and childhood trauma. Bill Maher uh, questions Bella Thorne after she says she had crippling anxiety. What are you upset about? This uh, story's from Yahoo.com, but it was pulled from uh, the original at The Daily Beast. Some of you know Bella Thorne from her Disney Channel acting background, others from pop, um, her pop music efforts. 
Or maybe you've caught her uh, more recent work on Pornhub, where I've been told she's developed into quite the talented director. Either way, she's pretty damn popular across the board and has built up a massive fan base over the years. Naturally, she's doing the whole celebrity cannabis line thing and announced recently hers is called Forbidden Flowers. The name alludes to her rough childhood where she had to hide and consume cannabis to cope with anxiety. Promoting the product, Thorne's team booked Bill Maher's new podcast, Club Random. A seemingly drunk Bill Maher spent most of the episode slurring his words as Thorne explained her struggles with mental health, saying she fell into weed as a result of anxiety. Maher's response, what is it with you kids and anxiety? What's causing all the anxiety? Uh, how can you be that fucking concerned about what's going on in the world? I know what's, go- I know what's going on in the world. I should have the anxiety. I follow it. You kids don't follow it. You don't know what the fuck is going on in the world. What are you so upset about? She told him about her father's death and other trauma she had to deal with coming up. I think a lot of people who are the most anxious have the most privileged lives. Look at your life. Everybody ha- uh, everybody wants it. Everybody wants to be you. I lost my dad when I was eight. I was molested growing up. Molested, Mara responded. Yeah, I went through shit. Everybody goes through shit. We look at someone and say, oh, they have it all. They must be so fucking happy. You've got nothing to complain about in your life. Yeah, well, you know, they're still with their therapist every day. They might have PTSD and traumas and other things that haunt their dreams. Trying to save face, Mara admitted molestation is a serious problem, but refused to acknowledge any sort of any of Thorne's problems with anxiety, repeatedly saying she doesn't have to be sad and questioning her therapist's treatment methods. Um, I, want to make, I wanted to make sure I was sensitive in responding to this one, so I consulted with my wife, Jasmine. Uh, she's a licensed clinical social worker and director of mental health for 23 schools between LA and San Diego and goes by Social Work Sage on Instagram if you want to follow her work. Um, she couldn't make the show this morning, but, but gave me a short written response. Uh, trauma is an individual experience, less about the event and more about feelings in effect after. It's any event leaving a person feeling helpless, hopeless, and fearing for survival. Any two people can experience the same thing. One has PTSD and the other might be fine as a result of structural upbringing. The key is acknowledging anxiety is largely internalized with things that come from within. Intrusive thoughts, negative feelings, genetics, biology can all impact. Bella Thorne's brave to come forward with these experiences on a public stage. Bill Maher's privilege as a white male, misogyny and insensitivity uh, show through his response as it often does with Bill. I agree with her. This could have been a great conversation about mental health and how cannabis can be used to help treat it, but it ended up being a shit show. Assuming a rich, pretty white girl cannot go through traumatic experiences or develop anxiety issues, or maybe even assuming because you have black friends you're super comfortable around and can nonchalantly drop N-bombs mid-conversation like it ain't nothing. Uh, I'm not a fan of cancel culture and a huge supporter for obvious reasons of free speech, but these are behaviors from a type of person that needs to be punished so we can move forward in a more inclusive and mentally stable society. If you want less bullshit from this, uh, like this from old lefty racists like Bill Maher or Howard Stern, the solution's pretty simple. Don't acknowledge their existence. Don't book time on their platforms and stop making them relevant. This is Rico Lamit, Dope is Dad on the Street, reporting live for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd love to hear the rest of the team's response to this one. I think Bill Maher showed his age when he said that you have to be privileged to have a therapist every day. There's apps that you can contact your therapist every day. Everyone can do that. I mean, not everybody, but, you know, he was drunk. Yeah, but we can't make that as an excuse. Like, he's done and said shit over the last few years that dude just needs to fucking go away. 
And I'm not for like people like like deplatforming him or anything like that. Find alternatives. This dude needs to fucking go out to pasture. Like straight up. Good morning, everyone. Um, Youth anxiety, depression, suicide has been skyrocketing even before the pandemic. It's a crazy world where we're living in, where Bill Maher is becoming increasingly clueless. And uh, you mentioned Howard Stern, Rico. He's actually seemingly more empathetic as he gets older. So, you know, Bill is out to pasture on this one. So are we saying that are, are we saying that uh, Bill Maher and Joe Biden are some, suffering from the same dysphobia? I think that it's crazy that this um, that he's even questioning her anxiety as somebody who's dealt with anxiety and depression. It's, it's crazy that someone's even questioning the reality of this, especially in the world that we live in nowadays. Yeah, I just I think it makes him look. Oh, sorry, Mary, I didn't see you. Uh, I think it makes him look really old and insensitive and drunk. Stick to smoking weed, Bill. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it, I, I agree with, of course, what everybody is saying. These, I think, and I don't think that our brains are really designed to handle the level of trauma that we're required to process every day. I mean, if we didn't have the news and we didn't have social media, you'd be looking out your window, and the world, by and large, would be pretty nice to live in. But when we're trying to process all the war and all the financial trouble, and it's it's just too much, really. Hey, Adolf, you want to weigh in? I actually did. That was an accident. But since, since I'm up here, um, one thing that I, uh, I am definitely sensitive to, to everyone that, that is enduring things and, and having mental mental anguish or anxiety. But I think that one thing that gets lost in translation in, in today's day is, is that that's part of life, right? That's part of the, the human condition. I mean, let, let's let's imagine what Neanderthals went through, you know, actually running away from predators. So. I think that in society now we are, it's good we talk about it, but I think that we put too much on it, not realizing that it is life, right? You know, you can't live life with all highs. There will be lows. And we all, as individuals, have to learn how to cope with it. You know, Adolf, I I thought that way too. Um, but one thing that I've been thinking uh, lately, because I'm dealing with some family members that have mental health issues, and it's just nice to be able to identify what's going on so that everybody can more effectively communicate and relate to each other. Uh, you know what I mean? But yeah, life life is fucking hard. I, I'm with I'm with Adolf on this one. I just I feel like we need a a crying baby uh, sound right now. Just say wah wah wah. No, mental illness is real, Jason. No, nah, bro. Yeah, I feel I feel like like everybody everybody copes with shit differently. Everybody deals with shit differently. People are everybody's built differently, and you can't really chastise somebody for how they deal with stuff. And as an advocate of the plan over the years, Bill Maher should have just shut the fuck up and know your own lane with this. And I feel like you're just accusing people of, of shit that you, you know nothing about. You, you can't step inside somebody else's pain, somebody else's uh, past. You have no idea what they went through to make them respond to something a certain way. And um, situations like this, you just got to shut the fuck up and listen or walk away if you don't want to he, listen. He's well, a veteran. Africa, but, oh, sorry. Susan. He's he's a veteran interviewer. He, he should know better. That was a terrible interview. 
Yeah, and not only that, it isn't that, you know, uh, it's not necessarily even what individuals have gone through. I mean, we have this pretty dialed in and we can do blood tests on people before we send them into war. And we can tell you which person is going to develop PTSD and which person is going to be okay. You know, this is all a lot of hormone levels and cortisol levels and response that is that that's pretty hardwired. So, you know, some people can see something really horrible and then shut off the TV and go to sleep. And other people do something like that and then can't sleep and have terrible nightmares. And it's, it's not a sign of weakness or, or a sign of strength. Thank it's all based Mary. on your blood type, Dr. Mary. I find that extremely fascinating. Well, I wouldn't say it's all based on your blood type. I mean, but you can take one child and, you know, when they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you can say, well, yeah, that might be true in a lot of cases. But in some cases, people have, you know, really can never get over that trauma. But we, we can, um, we can uh, predict that to some degree. I just I, I I find this super super fascinating, and I just wish that more teachers would teach children that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And I feel like we're losing that in this country. Yeah, there is a lot of you know uh, participation ribbons that I'm not behind either. I have to say, I always tell my girls, you know, the first person that doesn't win is the first loser. A hundred percent, Doctor Mary. Not helping. Words words do hurt, and PTSD is a is a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. So they should be smoking more weed then, Dr. Felicia. And she wasn't complaining about just sort of words hurting her, by the way. And Bill Mars claimed to, uh, you know, mastery of the universe was that he reads faster than she does. That's all. He's read more because he's older. It was pathetic. And Jason, it has nothing to do with words. She said she was molested. And she I, said didn't, I didn't see the article so, or the, the interview, yeah. so I have no clue. I'm just speaking in generalizations. Yeah, Speaking through the story, is she said she was molested. Well, I feel extremely bad for that, and, and no woman should be molested. No child should be molested. I'm totally against all that bullshit. Your device is connected. Would you like... Yeah, I mean, in that case, that's a that's a terrible thing to try to get over, and really, oftentimes, never uh, gotten over. It's never something you learn to live with. It's just coping mechanisms that you put in place. Yes, and and just remember, you know, a lot of us it, that are activists in the cannabis space. Uh, are activists because we are patients and you can never tell what's go going on with somebody. They may look very strong to you, but inside they might be falling apart. So let's all be gentle with each other. Great. And if you are, if, if you are suffering from something like this, make sure that you talk to somebody that you don't take any type of action upon yourself and just fi find a friend and someone trustworthy that you can talk to, even if you have to pay him. And then make sure your team doesn't book you on fucking shock jack they're going to say a bunch too. like Bill Maher has a track record of saying dumb shit like that. Well, he's, and, and, he, um, I think her team. That. I mean, he's doing a show and it's, it's just like, it's just like clickbait. You got to say things to, to, to trigger people to get ratings. Right. All right. Well, we're going to keep smoking the news. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times and surviving the drama of the past few decades, he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in the United States. What have you got today, Jason? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Susan, and happy Friday. 
today my story is a little long, but I think everyone is really going to enjoy this because it calls for a celebration and a money sound. Because the federal government has agreed to return $1.1 million in pot proceeds seized by the San Bernardino County deputies. The U.S. Department of Justice said Wednesday it will return $1.1 million in licensed cannabis proceeds to a Pennsylvania armored car company whose vehicles were targeted by San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputies during a pair of roadside seizures last year. As a result of the settlement, Imperial Logistics has agreed to drop its federal lawsuit against the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Drug Enforcement Administration, alleging the confiscation of cash from its vehicles on November 16th and December 9th were illegal. Imperial was operating legally under California law, but with current federal civil forfeiture laws, even compliant businesses can be targeted, said Dan Albin, a senior attorney from the Virginia-based Institute for Justice, which represents Imperial. Civil forfeiture enabled law enforcement to seize over a million dollars in legal business proceeds and threaten to keep it. Returning this money is the right thing to do, and we're pleased to have helped Imperial secure this outcome. Drina O. Goodman, chief executive officer of Imperial, said she was pleased the company had reached an agreement with the government. Imperial has always viewed ourselves as a partner to financial institutions and law enforcement, she said. Our service increases transparency and makes communities safer. Imperial is committed to continuing our mission of working with financial institutions and their state legal business consumers. The settlement ends the government's forfeiture enforcement against Imperial, according to Tom Morozak, a spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office. He says, we have reached this ma- we have we have resolved this matter, he said in a statement. The United States will not initiate a forfeiture action in the district court, and the plaintiff has agreed to dismiss the civil lawsuit with prejudice. However, Imperial's legal claims against the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department demanding that the deputies stop engaging in highway robbery against the company remain in place. <clears throat> the settlement is under review in San Bernardino County Sheriff's a spokesperson, Gloria Heretta, says, Our department is engaged in ongoing discussions with our law enforcement partners, Imperial Management and the Department of Justice. She added San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. Shannon D. Discus has described Imperial's lawsuit as a special interest crusade and a blatant attempt to interfere with ongoing local criminal investigations. The Sheriff's Department has not provided details on the investigation with which Imperial is portrayed to have interfered. The San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department leads the Inland Regional Narcotics Enforcement Team, which also includes state and federal agencies such as the DEA and FBI, according to Alban. Though the U.S. Department of Justice Equitable Sharing Program, I love those words, by the way, in this because, oh my God, get ready for this one, you guys. The Sheriff's Department participation in IRNET enables it to receive up to 80% of the proceeds recovered from civil forfeitures. As a result, it would have collected about $800,000 from the federal government if the imperial forfeiture had succeeded. Though both medical and adult-use cannabis are legal in California, the federal government classifies all cannabis, along with heroin, cocaine, as an illegal Schedule One drug with high potential for abuse and little or no medical benefits. That means the individual can be charged with a federal crime for activities that are legal under state law. Don't forget that, kids. Imperial lawsuit alleges that November 16th, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Deputy Jonathan Franco conducted a traffic stop of a company driver for allegedly driving too close to a semi-truck on the freeway. Franco first asked the driver what the vehicle was transporting, and after learning it was carrying cash, inquired further about the nature of Imperial's business, according to the complaint. 
This is exactly why the Pop Brothers of Law tell you I'm not discussing my day, by the way. According to a, co a copy of a search warrant obtained by the Southern California News Group, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department claims it was entitled to see, to see $700,000 in cash from the vehicle because there was probable cause to believe a felony had been committed. The same group of deputies reportedly, in including Franco, seized $350,000 from another Imperial vehicle on December 9th without obtaining a search warrant, says the suit. As the deputies counted the money inside the vehicle, one officer seemed disappointed, saying, this is, this, this is eh, eh, more small, apparently comparing the amount of cash that was seized during the previous traffic stop, according to the complaint. Well, I'll tell you what, asset forfeiture is the number one reason why law enforcement agencies and unions across the country don't want cannabis to be legal is because it impairs their ability to en enact uh, federal seizure laws. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Wow. So, Jason, just to be clear, that law enforcement actually is incentivized to basically take people's money because if it if they're successful they can get up to 80 percent of the proceeds so every time they rob somebody if the person is unable to fight they just get a kickback isn't why isn't that just that's that, that's how it always works key that's how it always has worked this is this is not new news um to anyone that 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 has experienced this it's always been what it is and there's also another little trick that local law enforcement will use is if they cannot get a federal federal uh, agencies to get involved in the because they're able to keep more money if a federal agency is involved that sometimes will hire a off-duty federal agent to come in and be present during the raid seizure whatever you want to call it and then that way that will give them the federal threshold to to uh take uh, those uh products cash whatever else and keep that 80 percent threshold in their jurisdiction and an imperial suit now against the sheriff, is that one of the things that they're going to highlight? Like, should we be supporting them in this suit so that we can bring to light that law enforcement is incentivized to rob us and, and, and compromise their ethics? It's like a lot of pressure. How, you know, it's like, why wouldn't they want to, like, stretch the rules and steal our money? 100% Guy, you're totally right about that. And that's why law enforcement has always had the motto of the bigger the bust, the bigger the boost. They, they took my my buds, they took my plants the day I was going to harvest them. The very day. Let's keep smoking the news. Harvest haters indeed. Look at it like this, Susan. At least you didn't expel, uh, expel all the effort to actually harvest and then have it taken after you trimmed it all. This was a strain that you didn't really even need to trim it. It was, and they stole the genetic. I've never found the genetic again. Anyway, let's keep smoking the news. Sad. Coming to the stage next is a true California Renaissance woman that brings the damn data, not the damn drama. That's why we love her. She's an educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. Coming to the stage next, Liz Rogan. What you got for us today? Happy Friday. Thanks, Rico, and greetings, everyone. Happy Friday. My story today comes out of New York State, reported by Rebecca Ward from the Times Union. The headline reads, homegrown cannabis still banned, though some farmers now licensed. So 52 initial cultivation licenses were awarded on Thursday to hemp farmers by the Cannabis Control Board of New York, and they're to grow a limited amount of cannabis to provide product for the state's uh, first legal non-medical sales. It's a two-year conditional status, allowing license holders to plant one acre of canopy outdoors or 25,000 square feet in a greenhouse. 
So Shalina Panu, our uh, correspondent, is going to talk more about that. But I'm going to focus on let you know what the deal is for medical patients. So if you're a medical cannabis patient in New York State, don't sprout those seeds just yet. While the New York voters did legalize uh, medical cannabis for growth at home in March 2021, and commercial licenses are now being awarded, as we've just heard, medical uh, home grows are still in legal limbo. So eventually, uh, New York uh, state residents, medical cannabis holders, will be allowed to grow up to six plants at their residence. Um, there's recent changes to draft regulations that clarify that they can now grow plants outdoors on their property. But because of these recent proposed changes, they have a new 45-day public comment period that starts on May 4th. So those continued delays mean that individuals who wish to legally grow their own cannabis outdoors are jeopardized for probably a second growing season. Nicole Quackenbush, who is the Cannabis Office's uh, Office Director of Health and Safety, said, quote, to be clear, home cultivation of medical cannabis is not yet permitted and will not be permitted until the comments are assessed and the board can adopt the revisions and then have them published in the state register, end quote. Unfortunately, most of the patients don't really see it that way. Joel Hubert, who's a medical patient, said that most patients think it's legal to grow at home and that the patient's right to grow cannabis at home was included in the New York bill that legalized the possession and sale uh, for adults. So the law specifically said that regulators should issue rules for patients who want to grow at home within six months of the bill's passage, which should have been no later than the end of September. But after the regulatory board was so slow to be appointed, they missed the deadline, and these public comment periods and months of revisions have extended that target for more than a year. So patients are suffering here. You know, cannabis is expensive as we all see prices are rising. And then it's important to know that cannabis is like we're looking, talking about outdoor grows. Cannabis uses natural light. If you look at the East Coast area, um, plants are starting to flower in late August. So really, as time goes by, these people are losing their time to grow for their growing season. So there's a lot more to talk about in New York State. But I wanted to highlight this for the, the plight of the growers. I'm sorry, the plight of the medical cannabis patients who are trying to grow their own plants. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. This is Liz Rogan. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Did you say this guy's last name was Quackenbush? Because I find that extremely ironic. It happens all the time. Reality is, is crazier than fiction. Uh, yeah, Liz, was it Quackenbush? It is Quackenbush. It's Nicole Quackenbush. Yes. Uh, but we did have some, the, the other day we had somebody who left, there was a sheriff and his name was booze and i thought you were gonna say it was like booze but um yeah some of these names are definitely ironic with this but i mean it is really challenging for patients um it's hard to grow outside anyway in new york like it's, it's cold and it sounds like they're everybody's growing anyway you know and it's going to be too much for law enforcement to do anything about it right is that that's what i got from the article it seems like that but i'd really like to hear what shalina has to say with her story cuz she's going to talk about the 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 legal cultivation with the um with the commercial and that's all going to hemp farmers and they're complaining that they haven't gotten enough so i think there's more to this story but this is the medical patient side of it Okay, Sounds like great. we're at time. Well, Sorry. Yep, it's it's time to relight the room. So, hold on, Susan. My grand, since we're on the topic of names, my grandma had a gynecologist, a paragynecologist, and you know what their last names were? Doctor Peck and Doctor Hole. No. I promise. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. 
The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. This feisty redheaded conservative who proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by pot loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panaptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider coming next to the stage is Gretchen Gailey, also my partner in crime and passing safe banking. What do you have today for us, girl? Good afternoon, Jason. And happy Good Friday to everyone. I would love to uh, start out this uh, happy Good Friday with a uh, me just taking a little victory lap of, I was right, you should always listen to me. Uh, as predicted, good old Chuck Schumer is not keeping any of his promises. Uh, the headline is Schumer's marijuana legalization bill not coming this month as senators work to finalize provisions. I said this. Uh, the long-anticipated Senate bill to federally legalize marijuana will not be introduced this month. Uh, with Democratic leadership saying yesterday that the timeline is being extended as they continue to work out various provisions, quote, with the assistance of nearly a dozen Senate committees and input from numerous federal agencies. Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said on several occasions that uh, the bill he's been working on with Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden and Senator Cory Booker for many months would be formally filed by the end of April. Uh, that's no longer the case, with the leader now saying the official introduction will take place sometime before the August recess, a.k.a. that means July. Uh, a discussion draft of the CAOA was first unveiled last year, also late, uh, and advocates and stakeholders have been hanging on the leader's words as they continue to push for an end to federal prohibition. Most recently, Schumer said last week that he and his colleagues were in the process of reaching out to Republican senators to, quote, see what they want uh, included in the legislation. The timeline that Schumer uh, previewed has apparently proved too ambitious. But the hope is that by taking extra time to finalize the measure, it will help the senators overcome what are currently significant odds stacked against them to reach a high vote threshold in the chamber, where Democrats hold just a slim majority and several members of the party have indicated that they're not supportive of legalization. Uh, he said, CAOAO is critical legislation that will finally put an end to the federal prohibition on cannabis and address the overcriminalization of cannabis in a comprehensive and meaningful way. I am proud of the progress made in bringing this vital bill closer to its official introduction before the August recess, and I want to thank the committee chairs who have worked with us and remain committed to addressing this issue. Uh, if you go on to read the article, it gives a number of issues that are being looked at uh, by the senators, uh, removing unnecessary federal uh, employee pre-employment and drug testing, uh, the duties of the Cannabis Products Advisory Committee, clarifying market competition, uh, review of agriculture environmental laws, worker protections, uh, determining regulatory bodies and the tools they need, strengthening cannabis business protections uh, and opportunities under the SBA, uh, tribe, Indian tribal governments and how they will work with cannabis. Uh, basically, every single possible aspect of this industry is a policy that's being looked at a little harder, uh, clearly because they don't really have the answers and don't know what they're doing. Uh, but that's par for the course with Democrats. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Canvas News Hour. 
Uh, this delay, I would also say, could cause problems for safe banking in its uh, uh, addition to the Competes Act. Uh, we will see. Um, I think this means Senator good old Chuck Schumer is going to try and keep it out of competes as well. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. I'm sure he wants to keep it out of committee, too, because when Americans see those high-ass tax rates that they're trying to impose on the cannabis industry, the cannabis industry's best job is to totally reject the bill. In, in my mind, it just really makes sense for all of those lawmakers to just deschedule it, see what happens, and then figure out the regulations. But then we've got Marco Rubio saying that he's against it because uh, the cannabis has fentanyl on it. <laughs> Marco Rubio is politically posturing. This is just more of the kabuki theater of Washington, D.C., Susan. Well, and I also think just deregulating and seeing what happens is not a great place to be. That just puts us into a gray market and people just doing whatever the hell they want. Well, and that's, uh, and that's, great, that's where we are right now. What are we, we talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. We are not there. It is still illicit. Uh, but what it does is that does not do anything for consumer safety. Uh, that does not help people uh, get the banking and such that they need. Uh, yes, we say that it will happen, but I, I think you're Gretchen, looking at a world of problems, not figuring out one. Gray, Gray worked really fine for California for 20 years. Gray, well, what about the kids? The state of California? I'm sorry, but I do not want my uh, government uh, based on the state of California's policies. I mean, come on. I'm not talking about the po – okay, well, I am talking about the policies. Yeah, you are. I, I am. I am. It worked. It worked. It was fine. Nobody died. Why would anyone want to be like California? It worked before legalization. It has to be considered. Things need to be considered, especially when it comes to medical cannabis. We can't just say, the hell with it. Do whatever the hell you want in your basement, and we'll see how it goes. That can't happen. Why can't, Why can't that happen again? I mean, I raised a family doing exactly that. He, Everybody I've met in the cannabis industry moves with real integrity. No, let me speak, because you throw around the R word as if there's respectability associated with it. Chuck Schumer can drag his feet all day long. I'll take that over the racist misogyny that the party of R has foisted on America. So be careful the brand you associate with yourself with when you speak so boldly in our industry. I am not suggesting, uh, frankly, Guy, that the Republicans are the end-all, be-all answer. What I'm suggesting is that regulations will be helpful. Not every uh, a producer and distributor and manufacturer in this industry is proven to be as responsible as you are, Guy. I know that you have taken great pains to make your product a great thing, but when you look at things like uh, things you can get on Alibaba and all sorts of bullshit that's bought everywhere, those people do not take the same care and love that you do in producing a product. And that needs to be taken into consideration for this country, for people who have no idea what the hell they're doing or who they should be going to for product. We need to consider, frankly, the lowest common denominator consumer, and you have to protect them. We let the Sacklers sell opioids in this country for decades to the detriment of millions. Uh, and the government didn't protect us. They actually aided in that. Willful ignorance. Just... Willful ignorance, my friends. <laughs> but these conservatives on our stage as well right now are just admitting to. This is why we must pass safe banking. Yeah, just, just forget that about the entire situation uh, is, that's what, to bring it back to safety. That opioid that situation is when you let Big Pharma run things. That's what, what that was about. Big Pharma been running things, and they're going to continue to run things. We need to get a room. 
Our next correspondent is a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. He's a bit of a Clark Kent figure on our team, but instead of kryptonite, his weakness has recently been revealed as sober thoughts. Coming to the stage, Christopher Smith. What you got for us today, my man? Clark Kent here. My my story comes from the Daily Planet of Cannabis, otherwise known as Marijuana Moment, by their very own Jimmy Olsen, whose true identity is Kyle Yeager. They say you can prove anything with statistics. Researchers at the University of Mississippi have made a connection between two things that at first seemed very hard to connect, but when I thought about it for a second, the light bulb went off. I said, of course, the the researchers uh, analyzed data from several sources to compare trends in foster care systems in states that have legalized cannabis versus those in non-legal states. Their conclusion, published in the Journal of Economic Inquiry, is that legalizing cannabis for adult use is associated with at least a 10% decrease in foster care admissions on average, including reductions in placements due to physical abuse, neglect, parental incarceration, and misuse of alcohol and other drugs. Further, if cannabis were legalized nationally, according to the study, it would result in hundreds of millions of dollars in estimated cost savings for foster care systems every year. So our editor at the Daily Planet, Perry White, says the term hundreds of million dollars is too vague. Let's read directly from the study. Based on earlier research that found a single foster care place and cost an average of $25,000, nationwide cannabis legalization would reduce the financial burden of of the foster care system by $675 million annually. So we're talking real money. The uh, researchers surmise that part of the positive trend could be because relaxing cannabis laws means that fewer families get torn apart by law enforcement in states where adult use is not a crime. And while that data point might true might be, might be true, that situation only happens after the shits hit the fan and law enforcement is called in, like when Lois Lane has a bad day at the office and stops at the bar on the way home. What's more important about the study, in my opinion, is what it says in very clear language. We also find that after legalization of cannabis, placements due to physical abuse, parental neglect, parental incarceration, and misuse of alcohol and other drugs decrease, providing evidence that legalization reduces substantive threats to child welfare. In other words, uh, so anyway, as you, as you can tell, I, uh, you know, when I first read the headline, I thought this was maybe a little bit silly, but I think it's actually quite profound. Um, here is more hard data that when cannabis is legalized and normalized, kids are safer than when it's not legal. So if anybody asks you, what about the children? Just show them this study. And I'm done talking. Studies do show that when both couples, when both the both partners in a relationship use cannabis, that there's less domestic violence. So I could, I could see how this could be true, that the, the children are being safer and kept in their homes um, due to more peace. Also, I mean, when cannabis is no longer criminal, parents can't be put into the criminal justice system for mere possession of cannabis, and then they can't be separated from their children, uh, thus forcing their children potentially into the welfare system. So I, I'm not surprised by this statistic. But thank you so much for reporting on it, Chris. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know very many, I don't know any cannabis couples where they both consume cannabis that aren't in a happy, committed relationship. So, yay, cannabis. This is a, 
Great story, Chris. It was interesting too, looking at the data um, to see that it was proven like economically, like you could prove it in dollars. That usually translates to changes in regulators' eyes. Sure, it's not just sort of anecdotal. Like we think this might be okay. They can actually put a straight dollar figure to it. That actually really, hopefully. Yeah, the the, the criminal piece is, is the scary one because you could have a joint or two and have your kids taken away from you, but you could be a full-blown alcoholic and still not have child protective services called against you. And I'm really, you know, look, having had, you know, I, like I said, I raised a family with this and it's a sensitive situation. It's like for doing what we do, just e- back in the day, just even the thought that you were using cannabis or, or never mind, engaging in cannabis activity, your kids could be at risk. It was our biggest fear, more than jail, is that somebody would say something and Child Protective Services would come and take our kids. Meanwhile, we had neighbors and friends that were full-blown alcoholics, totally doing serious damage to their kids. Not a word to be said. And not to mention the government-funded programs like D.A.R.E. that brought law enforcement into, into schools to talk to children about drugs to create entrapment for parents. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up to the next of the stage, we have the man, the myth, the legend. That's right. It's the beard, Brandon Dorsky, the CEO of Fruits Labs and a cannabis intellectual property attorney. And no amount of springtime Southern California rain can stop this man's vibes with his beard. What do you have this morning for us, Brandon? Thanks so much for having me on that incredible intro. My headline is Woody Harrelson judges Emerald Cup and preps the woods, as reported by Jimmy Devine at LA Weekly. Harrelson's relationship with marijuana and commitment to being pro-cannabis is impressive by any standards and pretty much in a league of its own when it comes to celebrities. Harrelson was famously arrested for planting hemp seeds in Kentucky in 1996 after announcing his intentions to the sheriff. And it's only fitting that Emerald Cup has elected to present him with a Lifetime Achievement Award at its upcoming award show either this year or next. Emerald Cup founder Tim Blake, who acknowledged that Harrelson helped set a standard for celebrity cannabis activism, said, quote, Woody goes all the way back, and it's been an honor to have him as a part of the community. The work he's done on so many fronts, he's just a true stalwart of the community and who we are, even in the film, music, and television industry, Uh, end quote. The possibility exists that Harrelson will not be presented the Lifetime Achievement Award until next year due to logistical concerns that may not be resolved before the 2022 awards take place on May 14th at Montalban Theater in Hollywood. Harrelson's receipt of the award follows a lineage of winners like Willie Nelson, Tommy Chong, and Winona LaDuke. Harrelson's receipt of the award is is not his only cannabis activity in Southern California, however, as he's also preparing to open a dispensary in West Hollywood called the woods, which still strikes him as unreal. Harrison told LA Weekly, quote, I never thought you'd even have it to where cannabis was legal, much less that you could get it out of the shop. So it's pretty exciting. I don't really take much credit, but a lot of people did a lot of hard work to make it happen. I don't know what the definition of freedom is in a free country, but I would assume that you should be free to do what you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else or their property. But apparently the government feels different about that. Harrelson and Devine's conversation explored the drug war, excessive incarceration, and the misallocation of tax dollars before returning to the woods and how it came to be that he partnered on a space with Bill Maher and others. Harrelson noted that his partner, Samba, better known as Devon Wheeler, who is the COO, was involved in the dispensary Herba, and the two discussed the dispensary business over time before they discovered the woods property, which has a physical layout that allows for a dispensary, on-site consumption, and a space to headquarter delivery, 
and also has a koi pond. Harrelson acknowledged that the aesthetics were critical to selecting the woods location and that its vibe factor is high. Harrelson told Divine, I'm really psyched about it. This is the first time I'm talking about it. I can't really promise anything except that it'll be the most beautiful dispensary you ever saw. Harrelson and Divine's conversation then migrated to the potential goods at the woods and whether it will house the heat for the streets or just be another booth palace, at which point Harrelson quickly pointed out, quote, the bulk of what people want is indoor chemweed before admitting that he would carry it because he does not want to alienate, alienate potential customers, but that his dream is to, quote, promote and to help people see the sensibility in sun-drenched herb because I feel like you want that sun energy. He went on to say, quote, I think outdoor is really getting the short shrift these days because you can buy a pound for $300. It's not paying off the same way the indoor is. I'd like to see a change. Outdoor organic is amazing. That's where all of us should be putting our sights. The outdoor organic herb should be the cream, the creme de la creme. Harrelson acknowledged as the farm scale, they distance themselves from the advanced permaculture and sustainability practices that he wants to see and encourage. Harrelson further refined his affinity for sun-grown, ultimately, ulti ultimately admitting to Jimmy that full-term sun-grown sativas are what speaks most to his heart, but that he is not totally against greenhouse pot with a little supplemental lighting. He just prefers the sun to be the backbone source of light for his cannabis. He said, quote, if the element of the sun is missing, which it is with indoor herb, I'm just not interested in that. I'm sorry. Harrelson hopes for a future cannabis cultivation revolution that sees a return to the sun as he feels indoor cultivation is really a product of the drug war and has partially fueled a race to ever-increasing THC percentages when he feels 15% is, quote, groovy and has a clear preference for joints he can smoke to completion rather than ones he can only hit a few times. That preference presented some challenges as he went through the 60 jars Tim Blake had provided to him as a judge of the cup. Divine and Harrelson's conversation ultimately returned to the woods and some of Harrelson's recent acting work. And like his acting career, he said the path to opening the woods has been, quote, a long journey. Keep your eyes peeled for an official opening date for the woods as has not yet been announced. In addition to other celebrity owner Bill Maher, Jay Handel, co-founder of Herba, and Thomas Shoes are also partners. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. I, he's my hero now. He, he is absolutely a hero. That's amazing. And I hope there's a line for getting into the woods for months and months. I'll, I'll be in that I, line. I, I think it's important to make a very clear distinction that the woods is a consumption lounge, not a dispensary, as alluded to in the article. I thought it was a hospitality. Hospitality is fake news, <laughs> a dumbass word that Coloradans <laughs> want to try to impose on the industry, just like they did with recreational, which is bad messaging. Oh, Rico, you're so funny. Shout out to Jimmy Devine for uh, getting the juice in this article and just doing overall great reporting on the cannabis industry. And, and not to mention, um, I, I love the fact that, that Woody is promoting uh, sun-grown cannabis. I think it's great for our craft farmers. But I have to be 100% honest. I threw a fundraiser um, for Terrence Hallinan back in like 2002. Um, and Woody Harrelson was one of our guests of honor. And I smoked some fucking indoor weed with him prior to him speaking. And when it was time for him to get up on stage, he was too high to even fucking speak. And all he could say and point to myself and Wayne Justman and point to us and say, it's all your fault. Well, and that was pretty much Maybe he doesn't want to be too high. Maybe he wants to be just high enough. No, but it, it's boof. It's boof, and it's boof. Anyway, let's keep smoking the news. Maybe he was not yet out of the woods. No, he, he was definitely <laughs> not in the woods, bro. He's <laughs> big in the woods. Up next is the co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley. He's a well-known and revered industry OG, veteran, 
dope dad, defender of the culture, never scared to speak up for our legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats and set your phones to Do Not Disturb. It's time for the Gospel of Guy Rocourt. What you got for us today, my man? Morning, Rico. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Today, my article is coming out of High Times, and it's titled, Argentina Creates Regulations for Cannabis-Based Medical Products. The Argentina Ministry of Health created new cannabis plant medicinal category and administrative controls for the category. So... So look, this article is refreshing because the government of Argentina is certainly moving with speed to establish a regulated cannabis industry. This month, not only approved the creation of nonprofit patient collectives, but also as of this week has created a special category for cannabis plant medications, as well as designed the federal control agency for that same as the National Administration of Medicines or the Food and Medical Technology, N-A-N-M-A-T, that's their acronym. Cannabis products over 3% must be prescribed by a doctor for specific conditions. The new resolution is part of a project launched by the Argentina Ministry of Health to promote, protect, and improve the health of the population through regulation of cannabis-based products. The the businesses and law passed in 2020, which allowed the self-cultivation of medical plants and the preparation and distribution via some pharmacies. Putting patients first, not the industry. Unlike other countries, including the U.S. and Germany, Argentina appears to be on a fast track to implement not a national cannabis industry, but one that allows small marketplaces and collectives specifically. Unlike Germany, where it's under the insurance program and I always thought that was a great thing, but as it turns out, 40% of the Germans who have gotten cannabis have been turned down for reimbursement, and it's actually quite difficult because it's kind of looped into their national healthcare system. But Argentina will be legalizing and rolling it out in a a way where collectives and self-grows are pushed to the top. The impact on Spanish-speaking cannabis reform, Argentina is the largest speaking cannabis country in the world by landmass and has the second largest uh, economy in South America. And in the previous century, their economy even eclipsed that of the United States recently because of political destabilization destabilization that's gone down, but still a very large influence in the world, including what's going on in Spain. So these moves by the Argentinians will f- definitely have an impact on Spain that has resisted heavily uh, federal cannabis reform, even though they have a thriving marketplace, much like what we had here in California with speakeasy type clubs and not profit collectives. The good news about this article is for some reason, the Argentinians have cottoned on that plant-based medicine, A, needs to come first and not is not exactly the same as pharmacopoeia type medicine that's in their healthcare system. Uh, and plant-based medicine does need to come from the people. And so small collectives and nonprofit entities and growing at home are job one for this bill from what I can tell. And that'll be awesome if they get that right. And that translates to Spain because that bodes well for how it may roll out in Europe. So while this is just a move by Argentina and South America, it could have ripple effects that really establish how cannabis is in uh, the EU. And the good news there is that they seem to be thinking about it correctly by putting a patients first, putting plant-based medicine first, and making sure that it's not about profit and and big companies capitalizing on cannabis, but it's about making sure that the population is as healthy as it can be because clearly they're recognizing it for the magical medicine that it is. I'm Guy Rocourt reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yay, Argentina. Look at them taking the lead. I had no idea that Argentina, not now, but before, Argentina's gross domestic product was almost as the same as the U.S. or higher than the U.S. 
I had no idea it was such a powerhouse. But yeah, take the lead, Argentina. And that's the GDP, not to be confused with the GOP. <laughs> what an exciting story, especially that they're putting medical first and really doing that, creating the regulations on this. Thank you, Guy. This is really exciting. Huge news. Thank you. It's huge news, Rico. Huge. All right, let's keep smoking the nose. All right. Coming up next, we have Shalina Panu. She's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis entertainment and psychedelics. Coming next to the stage, she's the founder of the cannabis blog podcast, Shall We Talk? What do you have this morning for us, Shalina? Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is New York finally issues first conditional licenses to begin cultivation. According to Marijuana Moment, the New York's Cannabis Control Board voted yesterday to distribute 52 conditional cannabis cultivation licenses to hemp farmers within the state of New York in order to begin growing cannabis on their land. These hemp farmers also currently grow other crops on their farms, such as tomatoes, corn, pumpkin, and hay for horses. There were more than 150 applicants who submitted for these conditional cultivation licenses. However, all is not lost as those remaining applicants are still being reviewed on a rolling basis. The governor had signed a bill back in February to start giving out conditional licenses in order to get ahead of the huge demand that would, without a doubt, occur in New York once legal sales begin. And the governor stated that it's about time the farmers got a little bit of shine again, as they are the backbone of the state's economy since before the American Revolution. These conditional cultivator licensees must have been authorized by the, state, by the state's Department of Agriculture in order to grow hemp as of December 31st, 2021. Additionally, they must have grown hemp for two out of the past four years. Further, they are required to, quote-unquote, participate in an environmental sustainability program in a social equity mentorship program. As for those with prior cannabis convictions, they will get the first round of adult-use cannabis retailer license even before existing medical cannabis businesses. I do have to point out that a recent poll done three weeks ago that Marijuana Moment reported on shows that 33% of New Yorkers favor licenses going to those previously convicted of cannabis crimes, opposed to 54% of New Yorkers who oppose this proposal. Several factors are at play for these decisions such as politics, age, race, and more. Currently, the possession, public consumption, and gifting of cannabis is allowed in New York. However, there are no retail stores to purchase cannabis as they are still finalizing licensing rules. The cannabis market in New York is projected to make billions of dollars and, and will create an enormous amount of opportunities for New Yorkers wishing to enter into the cannabis market. My name is Shalina and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Whoa, look at you pro. Great job. Thank you. There, there is a little bit of fake news in that. Just a little bit. It says well, that there are no stores for, for people to purchase cannabis products in New York, which we all know is totally ridiculous because there is rampant illicit market activity going on out there. So there's plenty of places for people to be able to procure products prior to legalization. The loopholes. It's really interesting how the hemp growers have it first. What do you guys think about that? Like, yeah, they knew. Is it a loophole or is it just hemp. a booth hole? I think it's, they knew it was coming, right? And so they started growing hemp and yeah. But anyway, we've reached the top of the show. It was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. 
You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Did you guys see that you can do dark mode in Clubhouse now? It's really cool. So Joe Biden has his own mode on Clubhouse. What? <laughs> Joe what Biden has his own, his own mode on, on, on Clubhouse. What does that mean, Jason? Because he's uh-huh. lights out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> is that what dark mode is for? Lights out? Lights out. Lights out. I saw a meme today uh-huh. that said Joe Biden will be in three states today. Consciousness, unconsciousness, and semi-consciousness. Oh, my God. Say goodbye, Rico. The dark state. Isn't that another name for Mar-a-Lago? Uh, good, goodbye, That's everybody. American Freedom Town, <laughs> USA. Happy weekend. Bye.